I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm standing in front of one of the most famous paintings in the world, Guernica by Pablo Picasso which lives at the Reina Sofia Museum in Madrid. Marta Santabanez, a producer at Times Radio, is our guide today. She's in front of Guernica, one of the most vivid pieces of art about one of the worst atrocities of the Spanish Civil War. The assault on Guernica killed 1,600 people in a matter of hours. I think the first thing that is incredibly striking when you when you come into the museum is just how massive the mural is it's so large it takes the entire wall and it's this black and white and every single shade of grey mural depicting the insides of a room that is burning and it's filled with people screaming and and shouting and dying. To me, the part that has always stood out the most is this image to the left of the frame. It's a screaming mom. She's holding a dead child and she's just crying into the air. The small town of Guernica is back in the news this month. It became the first place in Spain to be designated a place of memory, a new way of memorialising the horrors of the war and the regime afterwards. But this new designation has inflamed tensions somewhat between the socialists looking to address and confront Spain's bloody recent past and the more Franco-sympathising traditionalists who would like to continue the policy of forgiving and forgetting. After last month's inconclusive elections, today, Spain's parliament reassembles to try and forge a path forward. But this question has cast a long shadow over the past century of Spanish life and is still at the centre of political debate today. Who gets to decide how we remember our history? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Luke Jones. Today... How Spain's Civil War Became a Culture War.
Very exciting to be on this side of the mic, Luke. Yes. Can we start by um, describe exactly where you are? Look around. What, what can you see? So I'm at the Parque del Retiro. It's Madrid's largest park. It's very near the Reina Sofia Museum, where Guernica, the painting, is at. And it's a it's a really large green park, loads of trees. It's about 30 degrees now. So I, I run to the park because I knew that if I stayed in the street, I would not have a pleasant time. No, and we don't want you to melt. You mentioned Guernica, the, the painting, Pablo Picasso's. Yes masterpiece why are you why are you there seeing it now yes so guernica has been in the news recently because it, the town of guernica where the bombing that inspired the painting took place has just been named as the country's first place of memory that's a new designation under a very new and very controversial law the law for democratic memory which has attempted to change the way that Spain looks back on its past and reconciles with what happened during the dictatorship and the civil war back in Mm. the mid-20th century. But it's been a really, really controversial law that has played into the dynamic of the election in Spain, which took place just a few weeks ago. Yes. And we'll talk a bit more about Guernica and, and the bombing that happened there in the in the civil war a little bit later on. But just in terms of the the entire Spanish civil war, for people very ignorant of what happened, just give us a a, a brief guide. Yes. So the shortcut to the civil war is is a conflict, obviously within. Spanish society that started back in 1936. It lasted until 1939. And it began when a band of military leaders organized an uprising against the democratically elected Republican government. The Spanish civil war relentlessly continues. Every day in Madrid, the people demonstrate their loyalty to the government. Here and there, the cafes still do a little trade with men back from the line, but most of the soldiers are manning the defences of the city. The Republic pushed back against the coup, and the result was a three-year-long, fairly bloody conflict. They are as certain of the justice of their cause as are the insurgents who are holding out in Seville. Here, the scene is equally warlike. The streets are patrolled by rebel troops and lorry loads of militia move up to the front, determined to beat off the government columns. And and you say there was lots of violence, but violence which directly engaged and affected and, and killed civilians. Yes, the precise figure is, is actually slightly contested, but we estimate hundreds of thousands of people died during the war. In an official declaration, Generalissimo Francisco Franco states that the Nationalists have a mission of destiny in defense of civilization. The news tells that Franco is preparing a major offensive, and he intends it to be his decisive blow. He believes his big attack will end this savage Spanish civil war. And the civil war ended in in 1939 and the the victor, General Franco, went on to rule Spain for the next 36 years or so. How was the civil war and the memory of all that violence and upset dealt with? So during the dictatorship, 
the idea of what happened was very much led by the winners of the war, who are the military leaders who, who rose up in the first place. Thousands of people had to flee the country. There were political exiles that were only able to return decades later, once Franco died. And then after his death, as Spain was falling into what is known as the transition, into democracy, there was a political pact to forgive and forget everything mm. that had happened in order to move forward. And when you say there was an understanding, there was a political pact to do all this, to, to forget and move on, actually codified into law. Yes, the amnesty law of 1977. So a couple of years after Franco had died, it was signed into law that all of the crimes that had been committed during the civil war and during the dictatorship would be scraped away. And one of the things that has been done in, in recent years is try to redefine what that amnesty means and who mm. that amnesty applies to, which is why it's so incredibly controversial. Yes. And what was it like for you then, I guess, a couple of decades later, growing up in the 90s, mm -hmm. living in amidst all this codified legal forgetfulness, mm. were memories of the Civil War discussed? How is it dealt with in your education? What was it like? I think, obviously, this is something that changes family to family. My family kept very quiet about what had happened. We, we know, and there's no shame, no regret. We know that my great-grandfather was a sympathizer of Franco. Growing up, it was something that we would not really talk about. We would not mention at the dinner table. My parents had very opposing views as to what had happened. My mother tend to fall back on an argument of the fact that there was an uprising of military generals and that was wrong. You don't allow for coups against democratically elected governments. Whereas my father would normally bring up the conflict and the difficulty that the country was at in the years leading up to that coup. Yeah. And the political tension that would have resulted in that kind of uprising in the first place. We need to accept that it's part of our history that for nearly 40 years, we had this regime that was responsible in executing loads of political change and economic change within the country. I mean, I think it's important to keep in mind that the 40 years that elapsed between 1939 and 1975 were tremendously important for Spain's economic growth and productivity and its sort of growth into a country that would eventually become part of the European community. You can't talk about the things that went wrong without talking about the things that went right. That's the argument that would be made, and I think that was, in many ways, the argument that was made at my house. And also in houses around Spain, and if you had this difficult if you had this difficult territory to navigate as a young person growing up, um, you didn't have school necessarily telling you about what happened. You did, though, have some kind of historical books. Um, one of them was some of the books written by Paul Preston, who we're going to hear from. Tell us about him. Yes, so Paul Preston is an English historian 
one of the most, if not the most renowned historians of 20th century Spain. He was the guy whose books were lined around my house. And my father, who has very clear political views, has always trusted him as a reliable historian. It's very telling the extent to which the history of the country is so politicized that it's often necessary to rely on foreign historians to mm. feel that you can trust what you're being told and what you're reading. We gave Paul a ring. How did Spain get to this point, post-Franco, of legislating to forget its controversial past and violent war instead of remembering it? I'm Professor Paul Preston. I'm a professor at the LSE, Professor of International History. I've spent the last 50-odd years writing books about Spain, particularly about the Spanish Civil War including Guernica. In April 1937, the small village of Guernica in the northern Basque region was bombed. The attack was carried out by aircraft sent from Hitler's Nazi Germany and Mussolini's Italy, but it was on the order of Spain's General Franco. Can we start by talking about this report from The Times way back in April... 1937. It was the first report, is that fair to say, about what happened in Guernica, which went round the world? Four journalists were in the area at the time, and they became aware of bombing taking place in Guernica. And they drove post-haste to Guernica. And the first to file a report was George Steer of the Times. And that report had a huge impact. At 2am today, when I visited the town, the whole of it was a horrible sight, flaming from end to end. The reflection of the flames could be seen in the clouds of smoke above the mountains from 10 miles away. In early April, Franco had suffered a major defeat, and as a result of that, he made a decision to move away from what had been his central strategic objective up to that point, which was to capture Madrid. Mm. And he decided to go instead for the less well-defended periphery. And in this case, it was the Basque country, not least because he wanted to get control of the armaments industry that was in the Basque country. Most of the bombs were incendiary bombs, and the majority of the houses in Guernica were made of wood. So the report showed that it was a deliberate attempt to set fire to the town. A single German bomber appeared, circled over the town at a low altitude, and then dropped six heavy bombs, apparently aiming for the station. The first targets were the fire station and the waterworks, in other words, the basic things that might be able to do something about a ma major firebombing attack. The whole town of 7,000 inhabitants plus 3,000 refugees was slowly and systemically pounded to pieces. The raid on Guernica is unparalleled in military history. 
The object of the bombardment was seemingly the demoralization of the civil population and the destruction of the cradle of the Basque race. So, Paul, we now know that this was a completely brutal attack on civilians, 1,600 people killed in a matter of hours, and Franco's forces are killing their own countrymen, essentially. You would have expected that there might have been a backlash, a fallout following the realisation that Franco committed such an atrocity. How did how did Franco deal with this? Guernica was actually occupied by Francoist forces within two days. One of the, the main priorities of the occupying forces was to clean up and to remove any evidence that could be removed of there having been a bombing. So immediately the Franco regime was spreading the lie that actually Guernica had not been bombed by Francoist aviation and they claimed that it had actually been blown up by Basque miners in order to fabricate an atrocity. So that was, if you like, the official Francoist line, and that line was pursued certainly until the death of Franco in 1975. The Francoist repression, which was massive, a period in which there were horrendous conditions and there were probably a million people in concentration camps and prisons. And to this day, supporters of Franco deny that any of that actually happened. So Guernica is just one of a number of atrocities that took place. And in a way, I suppose the impact of Picasso's Guernica is particularly to remind people that these things did happen, that massive atrocities did actually take place under the Franco regime. And just thinking then about the legacy of that, in 1977, there was the amnesty and the idea of forgetting that written into law. Could you just explain that for us and, and the logic, if there is any, behind it? The first democratic elections were in June 1977. And in October 1977, a general amnesty was passed. The conditions of which basically said that there could not be judicial punishment for crimes against humanity that had taken place basically from the beginning of the Civil War until that time, until October 1977. And this, of course, very much favoured the perpetrators of the Francoist repression, but it was a kind of civic gesture to convince people that the only way that Spain might ever reach some kind of democratic coexistence would be via a route of, of forgiveness. It was not until really about the year 2000 that pressure actually from the grandchildren of the victims of the Franco repression led to the creation of what were called Agrupaciones de la Recuperación de la Memoria Histórica, groups for the recovery of historical memory. And it was through these groups saw the reconstruction of the history of what had actually happened under the Franco regime. So that was, I think, was extremely important. 
And in a sense, one might argue that the recent election results in Spain, which saw the the fallback of the ferociously pro-Franco Vox party, in a sense, might be perceived as the revival of the Pact of Forgiveness or the Pact of Forgetfulness. Coming up, the political wranglings that begin today, which could put a break on these efforts to re-examine Spain's bloody recent past. That's after this. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze. Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So, Marta, back to you in Madrid, sitting in the 30-degree heat of of a park, uh, (laughs) just away from the museum where Picasso's Guernica is. You mentioned earlier about how there's now been something of a policy shift in Spain, and after decades and decades of basically sweeping under the carpet all what happened in the Civil War and afterwards under the Franco regime, now there's an attempt to actually confront history and remember it and commemorate it and deal with it. You mentioned that Guernica has been made one of these places of memory. It's the first to be designated as such. Mm. What does that mean? So in practical terms, it's, it's very much about bringing recognition to events in history. I think a really good way of, of thinking about it is thinking of how horrors of the Second World War are remembered and how victims of the Second World War are remembered. And if you walk across many European cities, or if you walk across London, oftentimes you'll come across this little bricks that remember somebody that lived in a house that was taken to a concentration camp. And so it brings a bit of memory and dignity to that loss. And I think that's in many ways what the government is trying to replicate by creating these places of memory. But this has not come without controversy. I mean, for for many people, and it's not just an argument that is made by the hard-right party Vox. It's an argument that it's kept by the traditional conservatives, the popular party, they find this 
argument extremely controversial, extremely political. They argue that history is being rewritten for political purposes. What is this socialist side of, of the political divide saying about this then? If, if they're the ones who have brought this in under the most mm. recent government under Sanchez, mm-hmm. what's their riposte to what PP and what Vox are saying? So for, for the other side of the argument, this is a question of, of human rights. This is a question of, of your right to remember and get justice for the wrongs that were committed against you. And, and now, because it's been so long, in most cases, is against your grandfathers and, and great-grandfathers. There are thousands of people in the country who are still searching for their loved ones or their parents' loved ones who were killed during the war and buried in mass graves and have not been found. And for many, for many other people on the other side of the aisle again, this is an issue that is digging up narratives of their own histories that they would rather put aside and not talk about. So there are people who are comfortable with leaving the past as it is, but there's also people who are still fighting for justice over what happened in those many, many decades of not just the Civil War, but also under Franco as well. This continues to be such a, a live topic because there isn't currently, correct me if I'm wrong, Marta, a government in Spain. Mm. Just explain for us what is about to happen in terms of trying to make a government form in in Spain and how what we've just been discussing feeds into all of that as well. Yes, so there is currently no government in Spain. There is what is known as a a functional government or government in function. There was an election on the 23rd of July. We're talking today because Congress is reconvening following that election and the election has resulted in a hung parliament the past government that we've just concluded was a coalition government of sort of this centre-left socialists and the far-left Unidas Podemos. And right now, none of the possible groups that could be formed, neither the sort of centrist and left-wing political group nor the right-wing and hard-right political group has gathered enough support in Congress to actually be able to form a government. And consequentially, we may be facing a re-election in a few months. If another left-wing government comes into place and is formed, this law is likely to stay into place. They're trying to bring in measures to ensure that the law cannot just be overruled. But the Conservatives and the hard-right, the Vox Party, have been very vocal in their opposition to this law. They're very concerned about this idea of rewriting history and forcing a new discourse onto history and there there are lots of worries over using history for political purposes. It's all very complicated, of course. You know, who is to define what is historical memory? Everybody has a different memory. There are an infinite number of historical memories. On the other hand, one of the problems that Spanish democracy has faced is a judiciary that was entirely moulded, shall we say, by the Franco regime. And so for many years, any attempts at trying to write the historical record tended to be stymied by the judiciary 
people who tried to get some kind of historical correction of what had happened often fell foul of the judiciary, were subjected to huge fines and so on. And so in in that sense, the two attempts in 2007 and, and last year to actually legislate for historical memory and to say what was allowed and what what was not allowed, I think has probably been very healthy. You say it's a healthy process to go through, but we've also seen it's been incredibly controversial. And do you take the point that some make that it's driving a divisive wedge even further into a quite divided population? I, I don't actually agree with that because I think that not to do anything is something that, that was indeed already creating division. Because what you've got to remember is that during the years of the Franco dictatorship, I mean, prior to his death, there actually took place in Spain a massive process of national brainwashing. The fact that the dictatorship had total control over the education system, the fact that the dictatorship had total control over the media, and all of these things managed to create in Spain at least three generations of people who were brought up believing that Franco was the great saviour of Spain and democracy was restored in June 1977. There was not a counter brainwashing because obviously under democracy there was freedom of speech so those people who had been brainwashed into believing that franco was wonderful continued to think that franco was wonderful and of course that this is one of the reasons why parties like vox which glorify franco have been successful and do you think that there is a likelihood that they because they are currently trying to scrabble a government together, various parties on the right, and it could end up with more elections if that doesn't work out. But if there is a some kind of right-leaning government again in Spain, what do you think will happen to this healthy process as you see it? Will it slip backwards into more forgetting? Well, you seem to forget I am a historian. My speciality is interpreting the past. Yes. No, I'm not a futurologist. However, <laughs> however, Having been been provoked, I think in a way the main achievements have been achieved, as it were. It would take an extremely right-wing government to overturn some of the achievements. Overall, I mean, and it's, it's quite odd really because I don't consider myself an optimist, but I, I would say I'm relatively optimistic about the fate of Spain. I think that there are reasons that, shall we say, sensible politicians might see uh, a way forward. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Luke Jones, and my guests, Times radio producer, Marta Santabanez, and Professor of International History at the London School of Economics, Professor Sir Paul Preston. If you're a subscriber, you can read more about the Spanish elections and the full 1937 Times report from Ganika at thetimes.co.uk. We'll put a link in the episode description. 
This episode was produced by Sam Chantarasak, Taryn Siegel and Marta Santabanez. The executive producers were James Shield and Kate Ford. And sound design was by David Crackles. If you can, leave us a review. A nice one, please. It'll help other people find us. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.